So good morning. <laughs> it's nice to see all of you. Um, like I say, and some of you for the first time, it's, it's interesting how much, you know, when you remove a mask, how different someone can look, you know. Um, so anyways, um, what are we doing here? We, we've been doing a series, uh, well, some time ago we did a series on, on the book of Genesis. We're not done with that. Thanks, Ryan. We're not done with Genesis. We're going to come back to Genesis, but we felt that there was a time to take a little bit of a break. Uh, for a while, we, we uh, were doing some different things, and we noticed the theme kind of developed uh, week after week as we just kind of went one week at a time. We noticed there was kind of a theme of light and darkness, and as we're trying to discern what we're doing next, we just thought we would kind of continue on that path. And the concept of light and darkness, where it is seen most evident, is in the writings of John. And we thought, you know what? Why don't we just start at the beginning of the book of John? So what we're going to do today is we're going to start a new series on the New Testament book of John. And some of you I know are like, I was really looking forward to Genesis. We're going to get back to Genesis. John is a very long book. We're just taking this one day, one week at a time. I suspect we're going to do John for a while. I think then we're going to probably go back to Genesis and then maybe back to John. But we'll, we'll see as the Spirit leads. But right now, we're diving in to the book of John, New Testament. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the first passage, um, the first five verses. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay. So John starts out his book saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word. The Word. So, a little bit of background. Okay, you got to pay attention for just a little bit here. Uh, I, I'm going to try to make this interesting, but right now you got to pay attention uh, because i got to talk about, like, old stuff, Greek, and uh, the, the Jews and the Greeks. John is writing to uh, his his audience at the time, there were two people groups culturally where he was writing, and that was the Jews and the Greeks, okay? And what he's doing here when he says, in the beginning was the word, he's doing something that, that uh, we call contextualization in the church world, in the missionary world. He's taking a concept that they're familiar with and trying to connect it to the truth of Jesus, because to both Jews and Greeks, the word, quote-unquote, it meant something, okay? Um, for the Greeks, there was a philosopher, I forget his name, but a philosopher about 600 years, uh, 600 years before Jesus. And, you know, the, the Greeks were big on philosophy. Probably heard that before. Greeks were big on philosophy. And he was asking the question, why does the universe function with order. You know, the, the sun rises in the east and it sets in, sets in the west and there's four seasons and life seems to have a, a pattern and a reason and an order and a wisdom to it. Why is that? And he said, he called it, for whatever reason, he called it the word. And for the Greeks, the word meant wisdom and reason. Okay? That was very 
highly esteemed for the Greeks because the Greeks sought after wisdom. That was kind of their thing. So the word for Greeks was wisdom and power, or wisdom and reason. That's the word. For the Jews, it was a little different. Uh, for the Jews, the word also meant something. The word, and, and, and in Greek, this is logos. Logos. For, for the Jews, the word, um, it wasn't so much reason and wisdom as much as it was creative power. Uh, how did God create the heavens and the earth? Through his word. He said, let there be light. And there was light. The word was creative power. It was how God created everything was through his word. All right? Okay. All right, you don't have to pay attention anymore. All right? I mean, I just, I just what I meant was, like, uh, I, I didn't really want to do all that, but I wanted to explain a little bit of, of the background. For the Greek, it meant reason and wisdom, and for the Jews, it meant power. And so he's taking a concept and he's connecting it. And so anyways, I thought, okay, well, I want to explain all that, yes. I want to explain it, but what I really want to do is I want to kind of follow John's example, and I want to take a concept that maybe we're familiar with, and I want to also kind of tie that in. That's what contextualization is. You take a concept that someone's familiar with, and you use that to, to communicate um, the truth about Jesus. And so I was like thinking like, what can I look at that we kind of have a concept of and, and kind of like bring that, you know? Um, and uh, well, anyways, I was reading the news and something interesting happened this week. Scientists, uh, for the first time, captured a photograph of Sagittarius A. Raise your hand if you have any idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, photograph, uh, scientists captured a photograph of Sagittarius A. So Sagittarius A is apparently this enormously massive black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. For some reason, for a long time, uh, astronomers have known that this black hole existed, but up until now, they never had a photograph of it. How do they know it existed? Now we're getting above my pay grade, right? Okay, it's, it's outside of my lane. But apparently they knew that this black hole existed, and now there's a photograph of it. Okay, you don't have to do it now. After church, you can Google it or whatever. You can see a photo. The photo itself isn't that impressive. Not to me, it's just a... A circle, really. But whatever. Okay. Um, they got a, a photograph of Sagittarius A, this massive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. The amount of mass in Sagittarius A is approximately 4 million times that of the sun. Okay? So that's a lot of mass. And the sun is about a third of a million, 333,000 times the mass of the earth. So a little bit of simple math here. Four million times 333,000. We're looking at about 1.3 
million millions. Also, we call that a trillion, I guess. 1.3 trillion times the mass of Earth is the mass of Sagittarius A, this black hole in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Where are you going with this? Okay, here's where it gets interesting to me. Okay, here's where it gets interesting. Where does a black hole come from? Okay, so, uh, you know, on the sun and every star, we got this immense amount of heat being produced by what's called, uh, I guess, nuclear fusion. I should really have, like, uh, Basil or Chris McQueek up here talking science. I'm doing the best I can here. Uh, nuclear fusion, which is uh, a type of nuclear heat that creates uh, massive amounts of energy. And that'll go on for who knows how long until the star, the sun or the star, whatever star it is, runs out of fuel. Okay? And then you have a star that, that, that the star is going to die, right? And in most cases... In most cases, that star will die and eventually become what's known as a, a, a black dwarf. You've got like basically a dead, a dead star floating out there. Okay? All right. Well, in some cases, the star is so big, okay? The star is so big that that's not what happens. Something else happens. So before we get to that, you know, first off, why, what holds the earth together? What holds a star together? Why is there not just like particles floating everywhere? Why instead is it a circle, you know, a sphere? Well, that's what we call gravity, right? Okay, things stick together. All right, that's just how the universe is. So you have gravity, right? And when a star is particularly big, okay, this is where it gets interesting. When a star is particularly big and it dies... Well, that's a lot of gravity, right? Okay, because the star is so big, that's a lot of gravity. And the gravity that is holding that star together is so strong that the now dead star is not strong enough to hold it. So the gravity starts pushing it smaller and smaller, and imagine just like a, a piece of paper getting like crumpled together, okay? Smaller and smaller, because you're putting more force on that. Smaller and smaller, down to what uh, scientists call a, the singularity. Now we're talking so small at this point, so small, now imagine, because this is, this is real, this is this is science, okay? This is physics and astronomy and science. This thing is going to become so small where you have, in this case, in this case, you have 1.3 trillion times the mass of planet Earth. Now we have it down to a, to a pinpoint. It's, it's, it's getting so small that you can hold it in your hand, okay? This, is, this isn't like, this isn't magic, all right, this isn't fairy tales. This is real, okay? It gets so small, and then it just keeps getting smaller. And eventually, apparently, the amount of volume becomes zero. Yet, there is still the mass of, well, in this case, 1.3 trillion 
earths. In one point. In one point. And it's so the, the, the gravity is so strong now that weird things happen that are beyond my comprehension. The time and space cease to exist the way that we know it. Time may come to a complete stop. Light can't escape. Um, 1.3 trillion masses of Earth in one point. Okay. Maybe, maybe grasping that and thinking about it, maybe that brings us closer to the concept that the Jews and the Greeks had for the word. All of the wisdom, all of the power compressed into one word. The word, all of it. The word. And in this case, it's the wisdom and the power of God. The word. Okay. So John says this, in the beginning was the word. The wisdom and the power of God. And the people listening, Jews and Greeks, at this point they're like, well, yeah, um, the word, the word is God. They would, they would resonate with that. They would say, yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. We, we get that. I mean, power, wisdom, that's God. Okay, yes, yes. But then John keeps talking, and when he gets to verse 14, that's when it's like, that's when he presents a new idea to them. Uh, verse 14, it says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Uh, in the beginning was the word. Wisdom and power, all of it, concentrated into one word. All the wisdom, all the power of God. Okay. I get that. Yes, we believe in that. The word. Well, here's what I'm telling you. All the wisdom, all the power of God was born as a little baby. Walked among us. Lived among us. You can know him. You, you can have a meal with the infinite wisdom and power of God. You can sit across from him. I suppose you can laugh with him. I'm sure he told jokes at times. He he, uh, he slept. He got tired. John, more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John stresses the humanity of Jesus. Um, and though he was a man who got tired and, and, and slept and died, though he was a man, he, also the infinite wisdom and power of God dwelled within him because he was also the Son of God and he himself, God. Uh, there's more here that we're going to dive into. I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to walk through uh, the best we can the first 18 verses of this book. Father God, I pray that you help me 
communicate you to be as awesome as you are, Lord. Without your help, I have no hope of doing that. Help me communicate you as clearly and awesome as you are. And let us just stand in awe of, of that wonder, Lord. Uh, we ask this in your name, amen. Okay, so, so let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's kind of interesting, huh? So which one is it, someone might say, okay? Is the Word with God, or is the Word God? And what John is starting to point to here is aspects of what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. God has eternally forever existed in three people. There's one God who has forever existed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son, Jesus, is indeed with God. He was forever with God as one member of the Trinity, and also he himself is God. That's just what, what he's starting with here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Both of these are true. Uh, I suppose it might be helpful. Uh, we could, I'm not going to today, uh, talk in detail about some of the ways that people have got this wrong, there's an ancient heresy, use that word, there's an ancient heresy called modalism uh, that would say that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three different modes of God, like kind of the Father became the Son, and when Jesus is praying, he's just praying to himself, it's just different modes of the same God, and they would deny that there are three distinct people um, in what the Bible calls the Godhead. That's not true, um, but there are today some groups that still, to their great error, teach that uh, without naming names, cults, to be honest. Uh, it's not, it's, this is a, a, a very important aspect of the Christian faith the belief that God has eternally existed in three distinct people. And that's just what John is saying when he says the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Through him all things were made. Uh, this is another. John is kind of, in his first two verses, like taking down ancient heresies. <laughs> another one was that Jesus... This was called Arianism. Jesus was a created being. Jesus, a lot of times people, and there are still groups today, to their great error who will teach this, that Jesus was the first of the created beings. People will say that. Um, and in, in doing so, they're denying that Jesus himself is God. And, uh, well... He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It kind of spells it out for you. Uh, nothing was ever made that he didn't make. He is not made. Um, so, 
we'll just keep going. Um, what's happening here in the first verses of the book of John, when John says, in the beginning, he's writing, of course, in Greek. And what he's doing is he is retelling the book of Genesis. Because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, these are the same first words, you know? In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And here, what John is doing is, is essentially saying it's, it's happening again here. What God did before, he's doing again. And that's why this talk of creation, of how it was... Jesus was the word. Jesus is the word whom everything was created through. And in connecting to the book of Genesis, you know, when he gets to verse 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like in the book of Genesis, you know, there were, was darkness hovering over the land, uh, the the. the universe was void and dark, and God said, let there be light, right? And here, John is saying, yeah, that it's like that, but, but it's different, because now he's not talking about physical darkness. He's talking about moral and spiritual darkness. And so back before God saw darkness, he said, let there be light. There was light. And here now, uh, with the coming of Jesus, once again, God sees darkness, moral and spiritual. And he says, let there be light. And Jesus comes into the world. Let's just keep going. Verse 6 goes like this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So if you read some commentators on the book of John, some people will say this part here seems a little out of place. John is talking about these great things about Jesus coming, and then suddenly John is talking about John the Baptist. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, he's not talking about himself here, by the way. He's talking about John the Baptist. And... Some people have wondered, like, what is this doing here in this introduction to John's book? And in my perspective, I think you see the answer when you look at the end of John's book. At the end of John's book, he says, I'm writing this, as in the whole book, I'm writing this so that you would believe in him and in believing have life. And here he's saying the reason John the Baptist came was so that through him all might believe. And so what you see here is there's kind of like, there's kind of a, a bookends, if you want to call it that, to the book of John. On both ends of the book of John, you have the purpose of it all is so that people, we, may believe in him. And someone asked me, What's the goal of the message here, okay? What, what's, what's, what's my hope that, that I can accomplish with this sermon? And if I'm going to be totally honest with all of you, 
every time I preach, I have the same mission, <laughs> as in the same hope. Every time I preach, I really have one goal in mind, and it's at the beginning, and that's at the end of the book of John. It's that, so you might believe. And someone is sitting here thinking, well, this church isn't for me then, because I'm already a believer, you know? It's like, I want to come to church. I, I don't want to come to church that's for, like, non-believers. Like, what you're saying is, like, you just want to preach so people can believe. Well, what about all the people that already do believe? So we're supposed to just sit here for everyone else? Slow down, okay? That's not what John is saying here. When he says that I'm writing this so that you may believe, he's talking to non-believers, yes, of course, and he is talking to believers. Um, non-believers, of course, need to believe for the most obvious reason to come and have life. But believers... We need to read and believe. We need to hear and believe. Why? Because we forget. Right? Because we forget. Let me ask you something. How did your morning go? Okay? Are you a morning person? I'm not a morning person. I wake up almost every morning... Reminded of the curse upon mankind. Okay? Maybe, maybe you do fine with mornings. But let me just put it this way. You, you getting in a bad mood recently? Okay? You know, you go, oh, I wish I didn't have to go to work. Uh, kind of, uh, uh. Like, you know that happens to us? Why? As believers, why? Okay? Because if we believe what's written down, if we believe in who God is, what he's done, and what he has promised, why are we not waking up every day with our arms in the air saying hallelujah? Joy, joy, unspeakable joy, overflowing joy. I can't wrap my mind around the wonder of what I have why does that not stir in us every moment of the day? <laughs> it's because we fail to believe. And so believers need to read this. We need to hear because, for one, we forget. But for two, we need to be strengthened. All right? I, I don't think I'm ever going to get to that point, to be honest. I don't think I'm ever going to get to that point where I can wake up every morning just immediately singing God's praises. All right? But I want to grow. I want to get there. I want to get closer to that point. I've had a lot of conversations with my children on the concept of grumbling. Okay, I've had a lot of those conversations. Because there's a lot of those conversations in the Bible, right? A lot of people died because of grumbling. Read, you know, the Old Testament. As in, oh, why? What's, what's the great offense with grumbling? What, what's wrong with grumbling? Because Grumbling is acting as if this great truth and this great gift we have isn't real. If we believe the promise, then we are headed to glory. A definite and infinite glory. It's waiting for us. It's there. 
because we're getting closer and closer, our heart should be just stirred with this joy, joy, joy. But when we walk through life, it's just like, ah, I can't believe I don't have this little thing that I want. Like, you know, I can't believe this thing happened to me that's like basically meaningless and compared to this great glory. It's like, we need to believe, right? And so when you guys come here, like what I want from us most is for us to just be stirred with this reality of the truth and by the Spirit's power. More on that later, um, the Spirit. So anyways, that's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is to believe, to believe, so that believers would believe, okay, so that non-believers would believe. The goal of the book of John is to believe, um, get to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So something kind of odd happened. All the wisdom, all the power of God was born and came. The infinite wisdom and the infinite power. He came and they didn't recognize him. They missed him. They, it was, he was right there. They were waiting. The, the Jews were waiting for this. He was right there and they missed him. How did that happen? What happened? I'm going to tell you a story. You might think it's funny. So, uh, <laughs> so I was a new believer. I really, really wanted to be married. Okay? I was unhappy single. Told you a little of this story before. Um, I was very, very unhappy single. And... Uh, there was a particular young woman that I was interested in. And I'll tell you, she was trouble, <laughs> okay? She, she was not a healthy choice, <laughs> okay? Not a healthy choice for a young Christian man to be pursuing, but for whatever reason, I was interested in that. I was pursuing her. And there was this young woman that lived across the hall from her named Aaron Anderson, okay? And I knew Aaron Anderson because she sat next to me in this course, but I barely knew her. I borrowed notes from her once, um, and I would see her all the time because she lived across the hall from this girl that I was really interested in. And I'd say, hey, hey Aaron, hey, Aaron, you know, but I didn't see her. Like, she was right there, and I didn't see her. She was right next to me in class, and I didn't see her. Because I wasn't looking for her. I was looking for something else, okay? I should have been looking for her, okay? She had all the characteristics that a young Christian man such as myself should have been looking for, but for whatever reason, I was looking for trouble, okay? Okay? <laughs> So I missed it. Okay, thankfully, 
God opened my eyes, and Aaron Anderson became Aaron Salamone. That's another story for another time. But my point today is be careful. Because if you're not looking for what you should be looking for, you might miss the thing you should be looking for when it arrives. They were not looking for the wisdom and the power of God. Unfortunately, they were looking for the wisdom and the power of man. Um, the wisdom and the power of man that brings strength the way that we want strength to be and, and brings kingdoms and glory and honor the way we want it to be. But Jesus came meek and humble, and he said, greatness, if you want to be great, you serve. He would wash people's feet, and his way of life led to the cross. And he said, if this is the way of power and glory, follow me in this. This is how you get there. And, and the world wasn't interested in that. They were looking for something else. And so when he came, they, they missed him. And beloved, hear this. Hear this. When you're looking for the wrong thing, it has a blinding effect. Okay? This comes out in lots of different ways of the Bible. Um, if our eyes are, are light, then, then we'll have light. But if our eyes are darkness, how great is the darkness? as in that which we set our eyes on. If you're not looking for God, it's probably because you're looking for something else. And there's kind of a call in the Bible. And this is a big thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, first. It's more important than whatever it is you're focusing on. Okay? So they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Um, to those who did receive him. Real important. Real important. What does it mean to receive Jesus? He came, and the, and, and the world was like, no thanks. We're focused on other things right now. But for those who did receive, because it wasn't everyone. There were some people, and today there's still some people today who are receiving him. I mean, that's, that's us, I hope. Uh, what does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, based on what it says right here, verse 12 is, to all who did receive him, comma, to those who believed in his name. To receive him is to believe in his name. And what that brings with it is the right to become a child of God. Sadly, this isn't the thing that the world was looking for. The world wanted to know how to become awesome in this world. But Jesus came saying, my kingdom is not of this world it's better, it's coming, and it's better. But what Jesus promises, you can become a child of God. And beloved, that's better than whatever you have your life 
focused on. Whatever it is you think you're looking for, this is what you should be looking for because this is what is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's at hand. And what that means is you can become a child of God. But let that be your first priority. How does one become a child of God? By receiving him. And what does it mean to receive him? It means to believe in his name. Okay, what does that mean? That's an important question that a lot of people miss. What does it mean to believe in his name? And some people get this wrong, actually. Uh, it's not about the syllables. You know that? It's not about saying, I believe in the name of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Okay? What do you mean? There are uh, there are. There are people I've mentioned earlier who have very wrong concepts of who Jesus is. Strange groups and cults that I mentioned in the first couple of verses who deny what the book of John says. Just because your faith involves the name Jesus, the literal name, that doesn't necessarily mean believing in the name of Jesus. Something you're going to see in the book of John as we're walking through it. John, the same guy who said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. John also, in not so subtle ways, shows that not all believing is really believing. Okay? There are times when there are groups of people who are basically like, we believe in Jesus, and it shows, no, you don't actually believe in him. You don't actually know him. Okay? On one occasion, there's a bunch of people who it says they believe in him, and then they try to kill him, okay? Believing isn't always believing. But what does it really mean to believe? What does it really mean to believe? Well, what it means is it means to believe in his name. But what does that mean? In this time, to believe in someone's name meant to believe in their mission, to believe in their character. To believe in who they really are and what they're really about. It's not about the literal name, okay? It's not, well, I have a Jesus tattoo right here, so I'm good. Okay, it's right here on my skin. That's not necessarily what it means. Do you believe in what he's all about? That's his name, okay? It's what he's all about. Okay, well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Because the, the, the last passage we're going to look at today. That's what we're, we're, we're looking at here when we get to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Okay. Here we're talking about who this Jesus is. The Word became flesh, and we have seen his glory, who came to the Father full of grace and truth, uh, full of, of undeserved kindness and truth. Um, no one has ever seen God, the one and only God, who is himself God, and in his close relationship with the Father. 
Jesus has made him known. Verse 18. So uh, this God whom we previously could not see, now Jesus has come and made him known. I want to I wanna bring all this home in a way we can understand. And I really had give it some thought on how to do that. Um, it says, no one has ever seen God, and there's talk of Moses in this passage, and the concept of grace and truth. All of these points kind of point to the same Old Testament passage, okay? So there's this time in Exodus uh, 33 and Exodus 34, where Moses basically said to God, I want to see your glory, right? I want to see you. And what God said to him is, well, you, you can't, because you'll die. You can't see my face. If you see my face, you're going to die. But God said, I'm going I'm to do the best I can here for you with what you can handle. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass before you. You're not going to see my face, but you're going to see my back. So there's this idea of, like, I'm going to show myself to you in a personal way. And it's not really about what Moses saw. It's about the voice that he heard that was in connection with what he saw. What we're asking is, who is God? What is that, like, the center of his character? All the wisdom, all the power. What is at the center? Who is he? If we're going to believe in his name, the singularity, so to speak. Who is God and what is at the center of his being, which we must believe in if we're going to actually believe in him? Well, God said to Moses, I'm going to show you my glory. And this was the voice. The Lord, the Lord, merciful, Abounding in mercy, forgiving, kind, compassionate. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is all Exodus 33, Exodus 34. Kindness, compassion, mercy. And right after that, in Exodus 34, it says, but... I will by no means clear the guilty. Justice. That's his name. The Lord, the Lord. You want to see my glory? Understand my kindness, my compassion, my forgiveness, and also understand I don't clear the guilty. Justice. Well, there's an obvious paradox there, isn't there? Okay? When it comes to guilty sinners, I'm all, I, I like the compassion, kindness, forgiving part. The part about him not clearing the guilty is, is less exciting, right? <laughs> but that's who he is. That's his character. Justice is good. It all became flesh in Jesus. And the central message of the glory of God is the message of the cross. 
where God showed himself to be kind, merciful, forgiving. Yet sin is not swept under the rug, is it? It's placed upon him. The man who died for our sins. Justice is paid for on the cross. To believe in the name of God is to believe in the cross. Because on the cross, in the message of the cross, we see a God who is merciful, kind, good, compassionate towards sinners. And we also see a God who will by no means clear the guilty. He will pay for their crimes with his own blood and his own pain. He will pay for it, but he won't sweep it under the rug and forget about it. In the message of the cross, we see a God who is all these things. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, to believe in his name is to believe in the cross. In Jesus who came and died for sinners. One more thing. One more thing. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And... Well, John is talking about how, you know, we've seen his glory. Because John, like, actually walked with Jesus. I mean, he, he ate meals with him. He saw Jesus cry, right? And it's easy to kind of feel like, well, the best I can do is watch The Chosen, right? You know, <laughs> or like, you know, the best I, I like, I can't actually see him, right? I can't actually sit down with him. It's a good show, by the way. I can't actually do that, okay? So what about me here? I mentioned the Trinity. It's the idea of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and what he said before he left is, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Like, I'm going to come to you. If, I, I, I'm standing at the door and knock. This is, this, is, this is Revelation. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, and this goes for churches, this goes for individuals, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will dine with him. Like, do you want to experience a meal with Jesus? Believe in him. Because this faith we have is an experiential faith. We experience the power of God full of grace and truth, full of kindness and mercy. We experience him. We walk with him. That's the goal. Christianity is an experience by the power of the Holy Spirit who is given to those who believe. And I, and I hope, when I say this, I hope you're like, I know, because I've experienced it. And, and, and if you don't, if you're like, don't know what he's talking about. Nah, two things, two things you can do. In your spirit, say, Jesus, open my eyes. I want to believe in you. I'm a sinner. I want to believe in you. Do that. And the other thing is, talk to someone. who Come and talk to me. Uh, right after church here in, in the prayer rooms. Go to, go to the prayer rooms. And pray. If there's something that you, you feel like, like I want to experience God. I don't know if I have been experiencing God, but I want to. And it feels like maybe there's something in the way. 
Go down to one of the prayer rooms. Uh, God is here among us, and the spirit of God who is given is a spirit to be experienced. Okay, I'm way over my time. Uh, Father God, all the power, all the glory, uh, you have come and you have given yourself to the world, and now let us behold you, Lord. Um, that which previously we could not see, Jesus has come so that we may see. Previously we could not see because of sin. Now we can see, Lord. Help us see. Let us be a church that sees you. Um, and uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.